When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And this is the worst girl gang ever. Are you pregnant after loss and struggling with the anxiety and fear? Well, this course is for you. Our pregnancy after loss course is designed to calm, nourish and nurture you through the turbulent waters of pregnancy after loss. We have experts covering the following subjects. Nutrition for pregnancy mindfulness and hypnobirthing to guide you through this challenging and healing time how to keep active and exercising through pregnancy to find out more and book click the link in our show notes last week we spoke to jess about her experiences and this week we follow up with part two of her interview so by the september we were pregnant again and I was seven weeks pregnant. We were on a holiday and it was the first time we'd like got to get away um, um, because we were, it was the midsummer. So everything had sort of um, loosened up in the summer, hadn't yeah. it, last summer. So we were, we were down in Devon and I was seven weeks. I started bleeding and I just thought, wow, this is, you know, this is it. I know, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm having a miscarriage. I knew that obviously the signs and things. So we were in the middle of Devon. It was a Sunday night. So I called 111 and they just sort of said, well, you know, there's not really a lot we can, you can sort of do. Nothing's open because we're in the middle of Devon. Yeah. Um, On a Sunday night. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you just have to sort of see what happens. So when we got home, we we were literally towards the end of our holiday as well. So we came home a day early and um, I called the early pregnancy unit and um, got referred through my GP um, and they literally made me an appointment for the next day. So um, we went in for a scan and obviously expecting the worst, having to go in on my own as well, because they still had the restrictions um, in hospitals at that point. And she was really quiet for a really long time. It was the, yeah, just like the longest, you know, wait, the line there. I was already like in tears, just expecting her to say, um fearing the worst obviously and um, I think with that like because you'd had you'd have often we find this with women who've, who've suffered missed miscarriages you've had all your shitty news in that environment haven't you all your scan yeah. the scanning place is your place of hell and I think oh, it's that, no longer an exciting <clears throat> it's no longer a meet your baby it's find no. out what's what's happened and I think that the the atmosphere as well is because it's quite a distinctive darkness and mm. I think it's really like so triggering for so many people and I'm yeah I'm not surprised that you found that hard and going through that alone because of COVID is just shit. And obviously you guys know this too there's so many so many women have had to do that and it's so mm. it's hard hearing that new sort of news anyway but having to do that alone without any support is it's just and it's luck of the draw whether you have a compassionate <laughs> oh god yeah but also it's not you. just that it's the fact that you like the the people telling you are you know completely yeah. covered completely that human covered gloves kind of, yeah mask you know but the big plastic visor thing it's it's mm-hmm. not it just feels like you're surrounded by people in hazmat suits really 
it, it makes it so much more clinical, doesn't it? Which mm. takes, uh, you know, it takes away the kind of um, that human element from it as well, doesn't it? Because, yeah. um, you know, you and it almost feels like that they don't care, but you obviously can't see their face, so you don't know. But it, that's how it feels. They're just giving you this news, that's their job, and then that's it. And it's, it's yeah, it's it's weird. So I just led there for the, what felt like the longest time. And, and she said, okay, um, sorry. She said, I, I just wanted to make sure I had a look through everything properly first. Um, and she said, have you got twins in the family? And I said, no. <laughs> um, and she said, oh, you have now. Um, and so there were two, two tiny little flickers on the screen and what caused the bleeding was a, a, a hematoma, which they said is quite common um a is quite common in twin pregnancies but b is also quite common um if you if you get pregnant quite quickly after a previous pregnancy yeah um I, I don't know why nobody could tell me why but apparently they're very common so um she said the reason it took me so long is because when I was looking at the area of bleed I thought it was a third sack and I thought it was triplets <laughs> god wow um but you know at, at this point you're just thinking well I'm glad that there's you know, I wouldn't care if there was three babies in there, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, the fact that there are babies in there in any way that are okay is the main thing. And so I had to, yeah, so then, you know, if was referred to the kind of like consultant and things anyway. And, um, and there began our second, well, our kind of more, if we thought Leo's pregnancy was stressful, I mean, the twins was just tenfold. Um, so I kind of, the, this hematoma caused bleeding pretty much, I, I bled pretty much up until about 22 weeks. Wow. Um, and every, every time I had a big bleed, obviously I went into the hospital and, you know, they say, they tell you to prepare yourself. Um, and obviously I'm at that point under 24 weeks. So, you know, under the threshold of viability and they sort of say, there's nothing we can do if, if this is, uh, you know, a threatened miscarriage, then I hate that phrase as well. Like, it's just horrible, isn't it? Like, yeah. threatened miscarriage. I mean, who came up with that? I just think it's <laughs> such a daft phrase. Um, you know, then there's nothing that we can do because you're you're too early on. I was hospitalised a couple of times with really heavy bleeds and they basically said each time, prepare yourself, this is probably this is probably going to be, you know, a miscarriage. Um, and on top of this, I had hyperemesis as well, which again, oh, joy. is really common with, yeah, twins. So I Let's was sick. so sick. I mean, I'd had like really, I'd had morning morning sickness with both my previous pregnancies, but this was like another level. Yeah. Um, so it was literally stressful from the off. Um, and, you know, I kind of thought after everything we've been through with Leo that next time round, surely karma and all that we were kind of due a more smooth journey but obviously it never happens like that does it so I bled pretty much up until 22 weeks um I was back and forth for scans and things all the time to check the the hematoma to check that they were okay obviously every bleed they scanned to check that there were still heartbeats and and then um we but at this point we we'd found out that um both the twins were clear for CDH. So we'd had some extra scans to check uh, for that with uh, with the consultant who saw us when we were pregnant with Leo, which is really nice for continuity, actually. Um, but there was no signs of CDH in either of the twins. So that was kind of like a, a, a hurdle that yeah. we were able to kind of get over. Um, and then at 22 weeks, the bleeding stopped. And I just thought, oh, 
thank god you know maybe we can have a more kind of normal smooth back end of pregnancy and then at 25 weeks my waters went (laughs) and um it was just you know then all the stress is, is there again and they ambulanced me up to Birmingham women's at this point because um our local hospital wasn't geared up for babies of, of that right. maturity yeah. um it literally was just my waters so I didn't you know start contracting or anything like that um but they keep you in for sort of two three days just to to monitor to make sure that you don't go into early labor and things which I didn't so I was in hospital um literally my waters went the day for my birthday in February this year so I was in hospital on my birthday which was great the tea ladies gave me extra biscuits though so that's quite nice um <laughs> yeah <laughs> little wins isn't it um and so I was in hospital for two three days um and basically felt like a ticking time bomb then for the rest of the yeah, pregnancy because they say you know you could go on to carry on to 36 weeks probably not going to happen um you could go at any time basically so we were back to the hospital twice a week for scans and blood tests to monitor for like infection and so you had the steroid injections at that point just in case they're a joy aren't they yeah it was the most painful injection you've ever it had wasn't, it wasn't great yeah it's you know it's just another thing isn't it mm. of course of course you're gonna have to have two more you know, two painful injections yeah. and you're already going through you know the ringer um so at this point I was I was struggling with like the whole you know positivity thing I bet <laughs> yeah. thin, right yeah. you get to the point where it's just like seriously how how much more can can you take how much more can one person take yeah it, it turns out quite a lot but you become quite cynical just... though Bex you won't believe it but you know I used to be a positive person I don't believe you <laughs> no I did it's just shit happens and then more shit happens and you become really cynical my um my counsellor said to me um it's your bubble bursts you so you go you know normal normal people basically live life in a bubble they're aware of all these horrible things that happen in the world you know they see it but it's not happening to them it's not happening to anyone that they know so you can sort of they you can distance yourself from it when it happens to you that bubble bursts and then you know that all the shit stuff can happen because it's happened to you already so you go through life with a completely different pair of glasses on that you did before because I think you do a lot of a lot of self-talk and trying to persuade yourself and and like you say think positively but when you've done that and the worst has happened next time you're doing it you're like mm, I'm just, just yeah. what's the point myself, really and then there's no point doing it <laughs> yeah Great. absolutely um so yeah we we I was back and forth for the rest of um the, the the short time after that um checking for kind of infection the biggest the biggest thing when you all when your waters go is um is is infection um because obviously um you haven't got that protective amniotic sac around um around the baby anymore it was just one of the waters uh that went so my twins were um DCDA so uh non-identical so they had um separate sacs and separate placentas so in the grand scheme of things it's the safest type of twin to pregnancy to to sort of um have um but obviously in in general multiple pregnancies carry you know their own sort of risks um so 
left the hospital after after a few days. So I was, you know, 25, 26 weeks at this point, back and forth to hospital for uh, blood tests and scans. Um, and it was a normal Friday. Um, nothing ha- had happened. It was a normal, normal day. And at four o'clock, I started to get pains. And I thought it was just Braxton Hicks at first. Um, so I've been having that quite a lot. Went to lie down didn't go away and they started getting sort of a bit a bit stronger and things so I rang the hospital and they said you better come in and by six o'clock I was in the delivery suite contracting every two minutes um in the worst pain I've I've ever been in um and it turns out that I had an infection um so I, I tested positive for group B strep when my waters went um, and what we now know is that it was basically the group B strep that caused the infection. Um, so I literally went from um, being totally fine to um, being like, just like I said, the worst pain I've ever felt. My abdomen was just so, it wasn't like labour pain. It was, it was just completely different. My whole stomach, they had to put these, you know, the CTG monitors on to monitor mm. both the twins' heartbeats. Every time they moved them, it was like somebody was stabbing me in the stomach. Oh, wow. It was it was horrendous. And how many weeks um, were you at this point? I was 27 weeks and three days. So still early on. And they said to me when my waters went, every day that they stay in is good. You know, every week that they stay in is better. So yeah. obviously it was good that we'd gotten to that point. We'd hoped to get sort of past 30 weeks because the statistics obviously dramatically improve at that point. But, um, but you know, we didn't. And um, by, yeah, like I said, by six o'clock, I was in full-blown labour, contracting every two minutes. Um, and just luck of the draw, my consultant, who I'd seen through the whole pregnancy and our previous pregnancy with Leo, was on duty that day. And I remember lying on the bed and I had gas and air at that point because um, everything was going so quickly. They couldn't really give me anything else. And they couldn't get cannula in because my whole body was shutting down because of the infection um, and I remember just lying there on the bed with my eyes closed just trying to concentrate on breathing trying to concentrate on not panicking because yeah. I knew that a it was futile but but b it would be just 10 times worse if I was to get myself into a bit of a frenzy um, and I remember hearing him come through the door and I remember hearing his voice and he said oh, well what are you doing here I wasn't expecting to see you this quickly <laughs> Um, or something like that or you know he made some kind of joke about me causing trouble or something and I just remember like feeling like a sense of like small relief at that point thinking yeah. oh thank god there's somebody familiar I knew he was really good um, and it, it escalated really quickly the, they were worried about they were really worried about about me um, and they were really worried about the twins their heart rates were um, you know really up and down so they gave me the magnesium sulfate, which that's an experience in itself. I mean, the steroids were one thing, but this was a midwife said to me, um, it was strange because I was, I was, um, my fever was so high that I was like, I was shaking. I was like physically like shaking with the fever and they were struggling to get cannulas in. There was like two anesthetists trying to get cannula into, cannulas into my arm to give me antibiotics and to get the magnesium sulfate in. Um, and the midwife said to me, I'm going to prepare you. It's horrendous. And you will literally feel like your body is burning from the inside. <laughs> mm. um, but it doesn't last for long. 
Yeah. Um, and she she wasn't wrong, but actually it felt quite nice because I'd felt so cold with the mm. with the with the fever. Um, well, initially it felt quite nice, and then it literally did feel like I was burning from the inside. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, quite quickly they said, "There's no way you're going to deliver these babies now, like uh, vaginally. We're going to have to get you in for a section." So uh, we went down straight away. Um, James, my husband, said literally they threw a pair of scrubs at him and he went to get changed and he said literally by the time he came out, came out of the bathroom um, they were already wheeling me down the corridor it was you know just action stations um, yeah. but but I still feel like they were really calm in in such a kind of high stress situation everybody was really relaxed and really calm and it was just like just going about their day job which made me yeah. feel a lot better in yeah. that sort of situation and that's what you want isn't it you don't Definitely. want everybody else around you panicking when you're already doing all the panicking yourself Mm. so um I wasn't sure if I'd be able to sit still enough for the spinal but I did manage it I did I did worry they'd have to like completely put me under but they um they got the spinal in so I was awake which was which was nice and I mean you know they again we, they sort of tried to prepare us but you don't really know what sort of um state they're going to be in obviously they're really early twins as well so they're likely be smaller than a single baby would be at that gestation um and so yeah they both they both came out screaming which was great they both came out breathing which was great um uh, Luna came first and she was the troublemaker whose waters went um and she was born at one minute past nine in the evening um and she was uh two pounds seven so really good weight that is um, good isn't it yeah they they said that actually they were really good weights um for their gestation uh, considering it was twin pregnancy as well so she was two pounds seven and then Callie came two minutes later and she was two pounds eight um so both breathing on their own initially um and then they both needed a bit of help um but we again we weren't really sure what to expect they said you know we just we just don't know Again, the first sort of few days, we see how they respond and see how they're doing and um, and we sort of go from there. Um, Luna was was stronger from the off. She needed a bit of help. She had the CPAP, so like the mask. Um, but Callie struggled from the, from the beginning and they had to intubate her pretty quickly. Um, so I managed to get a quick, really, really quick little cuddle with Luna before they took her off. Um, and then they had to do a bit more stabilizing for Callie. Um, so I, I had a little stroke of her before I went over to recovery. Um, and then it was just sort of them settling into the neonatal unit again. And then we're right back to where we were less than, well, just like nine months ago. Yeah. We, you know, and waiting if the scanning for... room is triggering, Nick mm. definitely will be. And that mm. was the thing. That was something I was really worried about, actually. Like, it's either going to be it's going to go one way or another. It's either going to be, you know, like super difficult and everything's going to remind us of, of the, the previous year, or it's going to be a positive experience because we're already familiar with it. And so it's just going to be run of the mill type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily it was the latter for us. Um, and I think because those two of them as well, I think our focus was already kind of split. So, um that was just you know an extra thing to have to think about so we went off to sort of recovery and luckily I'd responded well to to the antibiotics at this point so I was feeling a lot more human yeah um and we just sort of waited for news waited for when we could go and see them and by the time we got 
to um, ITU to see them. Luna was doing okay. She was stable, but Callie was not, was not in a good way. Um, and they were looking to transfer her to the nearest level three unit um, because she was really poorly. She was really, really poorly from the off. Um, and so the, the transfer team came in, um, the sepsis had sort of taken hold. So my infection that I had had passed to her um, and the sepsis had taken hold of her, of her system basically. And they were really struggling to get that under control. And also her respiratory system was, was weaker. So she um, was on the sort of oscillating ventilator, the one that kind of, you know, makes that really funny noise and the whole body vibrates. Um, and for them to put her on that so quickly was was not a good sign. Usually that's mm-hmm. something that they do quite, uh, you know, a bit later on. So the transfer team came in and they they said to us, you know, she might not make the transfer. She's really poorly. It was several hours before they decided or not whether they were actually going to go. They were constantly on the phone to, it was Newport that we ended up going to. That was the closest space with, um, the, the closest hospital with space for the twins and me because they transferred us all together. Well, they, they transferred Callie first and then the idea was that Luna and I would follow. Um, and they were on the, on the phone constantly to the consultants there discussing, you know, what to do because the last thing they wanted to do was, and they said to us it was a distinct possibility that they might go and have to turn around and come back because she was declining, you know, so rapidly that they just wouldn't get there. Um, And so, you know, by this point we're thinking, how the fuck are we here again? Yeah. (laughs) How the hell are we in this position again? You know, like you have so many, or you had so many kind of, ideas that you know the 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 twins would sort of be the the kind of the healing that we kind of needed after we'd lost Leo and um you sort of think you know that that old lightning doesn't strike twice don't you you think surely surely this time so she they they decided to go they made they she made the transfer to Newport um and they managed to sort of stabilize her when they got there. That was actually, that turned out to be her kind of strongest sort of few hours, really, when they first mm. got her to Newport. Um, this was the early hours in the morning. So this was like four or 5 a.m. And then Luna and I, Luna went and I went the following afternoon. So um, we were all sort of there together then by um, by the afternoon. Um, and she just she just it was similar it was really I guess similar in, in a lot of ways to Leo she just never really stabilized she would sort of hold steady for a little bit and then she'd dip again and they were struggling to get her sepsis under control she wasn't really responding to the antibiotics and um she was so sensitive to absolutely everything that it just everything took longer so every tweak they made um, she was so sensitive to it that they'd have to leave it even longer then for her to to see how she would react and then to make yeah. more changes and um and sort of 12 hours in the doctors were saying you know there isn't anything else we could do um you know we we just got to wait and see if she turns the corner now and then she'd sort of pick up a little bit and you know we were kind of a bit hopeful that she might you know just start to sort of stabilize and then 12 hours later, we'd be having the same conversation again. And it sort right. of went on like that. I mean, she fought the fight of her life, bless her. She did. She, I've never known something so small with so much 
you know, determination and, and guts. Um, and, you know, it got to the point where she'd started to decline again. And they gave us the option of, you know, we can carry on, but, you know, she may just decline a lot more rapidly and you might not even make it here for her, you know, for her to, to, to pass. Or we can just sort of take more compassionate measures and um and you know again do exactly what we what we did with Leah and make those memories so that's what we decided to do and they said you know we'll get her out you can have a cuddle and um you know she started to pick up when we got her out of the incubator and had a little cuddle and it was amazing and you know there's always that kind of little in the back of your head you know maybe maybe you know she'll um, but it just turns it turns out all she wanted was a bit of a cuddle and you know she mm. stayed reasonably stable for a good four or five hours it was amazing we never we just we didn't think we would kind of get that um time and and James and I both managed to kind of have a little cuddle with her and and it got sort of later and later and we were both absolutely exhausted and they said you know she's at a reasonable pace place now. Um, she is starting to sort of go downhill again, but it's, you know, it's not drastic. Why don't you go and have some sleep and we'll, you know, call you if there's any changes. I was still an inpatient at this point and they'd given James a room on the unit as well. So that was great that we could both be nearby. And we were sort of half expecting them to kind of call us, you know, within a couple of hours to say it's time. Um, but they did it. She lasted until six o'clock the next morning. The doctors came to get me and wheeled me over, literally ran me over in the wheelchair. It was that they were like, you know, it's, you know, it's happening. And um, so they just, yeah, again, disconnected everything. And, um, you know, they said, you know, have basically have as long as you like. And she, she hung on for, for quite a few hours and we were able to take her over to Luna's cot side, which was really really nice because at one point I I just wasn't sure whether we would ever get to see them together whether we'd be able to sort of you know reunite them albeit temporarily um but but we did so that was really nice um and we just sort of spent that time four of us together really um and the doctors kept popping in and checking on her heart every you know half an hour or so and she kept going and she kept going her little heart was still beating bless her she just hung on and and it was it was just yeah it was amazing it was time that we never thought we would get we just didn't think that she'd hang on for that long yeah um and we were all you know we were all sort of together she her kind of um physical appearance had declined quite a lot by that point she was quite puffy and it was sort of I still find it quite difficult looking back at the pictures of her actually at that point because um, she just didn't look the same as when she was first born and mm. um, she had a lot of excess fluid and things and that makes me a little bit sad that we, we don't mm. really have a proper like facial picture of her um, because although we were, we were told that they were non-identical twins um, about 30% of this type of twin are actually identical and it's just like an early egg split rather than right. two eggs so we'd always planned to get them tested later on to see if they were actually identical I don't think they were they were very similar facially but I don't think they were identical so um we just again we just you know held on to her as long as we could till the end we were all together with Luna as well and she was doing pretty well at this point she'd moved out of um kind of the more high dependency 
unit into well out, so she moved out of intensive care into high dependency so she was just a sort of four days in um so she was doing pretty well which was which was really good um but you, you know you've got that awful kind of split in your head of mm-hmm. one's really poorly one's doing pretty well and then obviously we've got another daughter at home as well mm. it's just the worst mind boggle um must have been so bloody hard for as you say for all of those reasons like how do you even begin to start to get your head around all of that I still don't really think I have to be honest no well it's and so I don't... recent for you I mean this is this year is this it yeah 2021 um, March yeah March. March beginning of March Callie died yeah um and it's yeah it's 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 strange and again you know we we're there they we I just, I just you know remember sitting in this little quiet room that they took us into just before um sort of uh just well just after Callie had started to decline you know and saying you know this is it this, you know we there's nothing else we can do and just remember absolutely sobbing my heart out me and my husband both of us together that we were having to do this again yeah. we were having it's to say goodbye not, to another baby less than a year before we'd and at this point I was thinking like how on earth am I ever going to be a normal person again like yeah. how how can you go back into like normal life and think <laughs> think in a normal way or like you say like we, like we were saying think positively again about anything ever again like how would you even start doing that um and um, in reality you kind of you just sort of have to I mean for That's us as well normal, again isn't it it is never it just really becomes person you were. no it changes you in ways that you just never never thought you could be changed doesn't it um and obviously we've got Luna to think about she's still poorly I mean she's doing better but she's still poorly and then there's the whole, well, are we going to lose her too? It, you know, we didn't think that it would happen twice. We didn't think it would happen once. We definitely didn't think it would happen twice. Mm. So, I mean, it's already happened twice. What's to stop it happening again? Mm. You know, the anxiety then, again, is just off the scale. Um, because so, Luna stayed in NICU for a, a long time after, didn't she? Yeah. So, get her home. She, so she was in for 62 days. Um, so it actually came out before her due date, which is really good. So she was due on the 25th of May um, and she came out at the end of April. Um, so she once she once we got past those first few weeks, she actually did really, really well. So she had a couple of blips in the first few weeks. Um, nothing um, like life threatening looking back, um, just normal kind of preemie yeah. baby things. So she had a brain bleed. She had a bleed on the lung. Um, she had a, a PDA, which is like a, a duct in the heart. Um, when the baby's in utero, um, it, it's open to um, allow the blood to flow to oxygenate the lungs. And when the baby is born, it closes so that the lungs can be used for breathing. But obviously in preemies, it doesn't close until um a bit later on so that took a little while to resolve itself but once it did she turned a corner and and then it was just um feeding and growing really so by the time we got transferred back to our local hospital uh which was about two and a half weeks three weeks two and a half three weeks after she was born um she was doing pretty pretty well um but you know it's there's still the worry that things can change so quickly um 
in in NICU everything you know you have to take it almost day moment by moment day by day because things can change so quickly when they're that little um you know and they're susceptible to infections and things and um so even though she was doing well I just don't ever really let don't think I really let myself accept that she was going to come home um and it just felt like it just felt like you're on this treadmill all the time you just want to you just want to get off you just want to get off for a minute and just take a breath recuperate yeah yeah and just it it didn't just we didn't feel like we really kind of came to terms with Callie's death in the same way as we did after we lost Leo because we our our kind of you know minds were so focused on on everything else and to top it all off of course we were moving house weren't we (laughs) <laughs> so yeah I mean you know why not um just the way it turned out obviously so it was just so many weird things going on at once and it wasn't until we got to the point where they were talking about me going to room in with Luna that I was allowing to I also I didn't want to let myself accept that she might come home because then that's you know if she didn't then I've got myself all excited for something that might not happen yeah um and it's just the most surreal it's just been the most surreal kind of 18 months really from mm. from obviously getting leo's diagnosis to to sort of where we are now and how um, are you now we we're good you know it's it's taken a lot of um kind of you know just stepping back and letting things you know, go, um, you know, grief is just the weirdest, the weirdest thing until you kind of experience it. You just don't, I never really lost anybody sort of close to me, um, before. Um, so it was all really, really new, um, this whole kind of grief thing. Um, and I just didn't know how I was supposed to feel. Like I had no frame of reference, which was the most difficult thing for me. Um, which is again where where having the support from other people who've been there came in so useful because just for those people to say yeah it's normal or actually yeah. anything is normal when you're going through something like this there's no rule book yeah just you have to just go with whatever you know whatever you feel and for me I tried really early on to view it as to view kind of the grief as a kind of a positive thing is in as much as I could my my you know glass half full mentality coming out again um in that I think I, li- I like to think of it as a testament to how much we loved them rather yeah. than um a sadness around them not being able to stay obviously that's there that's always going to be there of course but um, grief is love isn't it absolutely mm. and I think once I sort of reframed it in my head to that, it made it a lot easier to deal with. And I went through a period of sort of feeling like we hadn't really dealt with Callie's death. Um, and it, it was it was just more that actually, of course, she died. But because we've got Luna here, for me, I feel like we've always we're always going to have a piece of Callie with Luna, mm-hmm. which we didn't we didn't have with Leo. When when we lost Leo, we came home to nothing almost you know we came home without a baby but um you know we didn't really have any anything almost to kind of even 
because of COVID as well, because of the mm-hmm. pandemic, it was almost as if it didn't really happen, which was really strange. Whereas when we lost when we lost Callie, it I mean it was obviously still a shock, but I see her face every day in Luna. And that's never going to go away. And that's a comfort. It's still hard, but that's a comfort. And our our counsellor said to us quite early on, if you focus on all the things that you're going to miss out on, that you're going to torture yourself to death. And it's so difficult, isn't it? It's so hard to fixate on, well, I'm never going to see them grow up and I'm never going to see them, you know, go to school and you're never you know when when I when we first lost Leo all the things that Anya was doing um our older daughter that that she was doing um for the first time you know I kept thinking well we're never going to see Leo do that and it was just it was it was hard Mm. um and so I tried to kind of you know we we didn't he could have died straight away when he was born we 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 didn't we didn't know that that wasn't going to happen so the fact that we had that time with him and all that extra time with Callie that we didn't think we had, you know, we had four days with Callie that we didn't think we would have um, on the, but on the really bad days, I try and focus on that. And it's hard. It, of course it is, you know, you can't always um, pick yourself up from those sorts of feelings and, and, and neither do you kind of want to all the time. Do you? I think there's, I think there's something to be said for just letting yourself wallow in that. Yeah. Because... You've got to sit with it. Otherwise you won't process it. For sure. Oh, absolutely. There's just, um, you know, there's no way you're going to kind of get get through it. Although you never really get through it, do you? It's always it's just this like ongoing thing. Survival. Becomes, yeah. Just keep plodding. It just becomes part of way. you, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Ride the yeah. I really like that kind of um, that kind of analogy of of it being sort of like you know waves, and some days they'll completely consume you, and some days it'll just be a little ripple, and it's still yeah. there. It's always there. Yeah. But some days it's just a little easier to sit with than others. That's mm. sort of where we are now. And yeah, so Luna is five and a half months and she's doing really, really well. Oh, Jen, so, yeah. I'm so sorry. But Thank yeah, you. had to go through that. Not it's just- a horrendous, like, wow. God. Yeah, yeah. A horrendous lot of. And to still be living and yeah. talking about it as well. I think I, I, like, like I said, I found so much comfort in hearing other people's stories. Mm -hmm. And so if, if by me talking about it, um, I can do that for someone else, then, Mm -hmm. you know, that I think can only be a good thing. And also it, it just helps, you know, it it helps. No, it doesn't help anybody to bottle things up, does it? No, No, it helps you, but it also hopefully, well, definitely will help others. Definitely. I think the more we talk about it, the more we kind of process it. And I think also there's a there's a big part of when you when you lose a child, a big part of you, you know, worries that they'll be forgotten because they're not here. You know, they're not tangibly physically here. People won't remember them. Yeah. Um, And so by talking about them, for me, that's, you know, a way for us to make sure that we don't forget them and that they're included. And we will always talk about them and we'll make sure that you know Anya always talks about Leo and Callie she often does we've got pictures up of them we have their ashes in the living room and um you know we we talk about them all the time and you know she often brings them up um and so we you know we said to her that they're both they're both stars in the sky so you know if at any point you're sad you just you just look up and you'll be able to you know you know find them in the sky and she quite often says when it's a dark night and you can see she said oh look it's 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 leo's star and it's just so nice hearing her talk about it as well is 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 lovely it's really really nice 
uh, yeah. So that's 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 our story. That's our little. Well, thank Crazy you for sharing it Yeah, us. thank you so much for coming thank on you for and listening. Sorry, I feel like I've just sort of rabbited on. For no, like, no. Yeah. We've had a lot to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> God, <laughs> so unfair. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you. I, 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 you guys are doing an amazing, amazing thing, um, having, you know, these women talk about all these different types of, of, you know, horrendous things that they've been through. But, you know, I think hopefully we, we're opening up that conversation and it's making it easier absolutely mm. for those women coming after us unfortunately but oh sure. bless you yeah well thank you for sharing your story and I know like as you say or but you you have I think when you <clears throat> when you receive so much comfort from listening to other people's stories it does inspire you to kind of offer that same comfort to other people so thank you for doing that especially as it's all I mean obviously it's never going to be easy to talk about but it's all so fresh and raw for you it's um it's incredible thank you thank you so much Thank you guys. All right. Take care. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review, and we'll see you next week. And to find out more about our pathway to recovery, please visit our website.